Um, as we continue in our new series, I do want to sort of handle some housekeeping first. Um, I believe it is acceptable for me to say that I want a jet. I want a jet. You know, there's some like TV preachers that have caught, got flight lately because they said, you know, I need a jet. Well, I sort of prophesied last week, and I don't want to take any blame for it. I just want to take credit for getting it right. But the, the, term, the sermon last week was, uh, what if nothing changes? And I talked about the idea that maybe 2021 might not be a whole lot better than 2020. And I was probably accidentally prophetic. I wish that I was wrong. But we know this week has been rough, right? This week has been rough, and if you didn't look at the calendar, you'd probably think, oh, it's just like everything that happened in 2020. And today, we're continuing our series, What If? What If is the series we're getting into. I'm sorry, I'm making a lot of noise here. Let me see if I can do something here. I don't know where I need to move it, but I want to move it. Anyway, but we're talking about What If? What If? And today, specifically, we're talking about what if the answer is no. What if the answer is no? Have you ever been rejected? I'm the only one. Oh. We had a tree fall. Nobody's hurt. Nobody's hurt. That was scary. So, uh, on that note, have you ever been rejected? Have you ever been rejected? Have you ever had anybody tell you no? Have you ever heard anyone say, um, you know, I just don't know if you're the right fit. I just don't know if you're the right one. Um, most of you have heard many times over because I, I beat that horse to death about how when we were dating back in college, Sherry broke up with me <laughs> on my birthday. And she said it, so she's just glad to find Yeah, she dubbed me on my birthday. Um, and then we spent this year of sort of like this cat and mouse type thing. I was by all means the mouse. She was the cat. And just, you know how some cats would just play with their food before they destroy it? That was kind of what it was. And, you know, she would show me a little bit of tension, and I was like, oh, okay, okay. And, you know, I would like sort of, you know, think, okay, we're going to start spending more time together, maybe start dating again. And then she's like, nope, you know. And so I got used to rejection, you know, I mean, real used to rejection over and over again. And then finally, you know, we got back together. Everything worked out good, and here we go. She still can't get, her, get rid of me 20 years later. So that's that all worked out well. But I know about rejection, and sometimes you get a no. Um, the, the phrase is now a cultural icon phenomenon. It's used in memes and all sorts of other stuff. Back from the original, uh, I guess it was American Idol. It's a no from me, dog. You know, we, we kind of get used to that. We'll use that as an answer when we don't agree with something. It's a no from me. We all probably are used to rejection. But I want to ask you maybe a more serious question. Have you ever felt like God rejected I hope and pray that if you felt that way, that you know that that's not the truth. But you may have felt like God has told you no, because there's a good chance that he has. There's a good chance that God has told you no. And regardless, if it's something you're praying about, if it's something you're worked up about, if it's something you're worried about, you, you go to God and you pray and you wonder why it seems like you're just getting a no. It's hard to hear what seems like a no from God. And it's been said that there are maybe three types of answers to prayer. Yes, no, and not right now. And maybe that's true. I think that's fair, you know, that's fair to say. 
But it doesn't make it any easier when you're pouring out your heart to God about something that you're scared about or something you're worried about or something you want. And it feels like the answer you're getting is no. Am I the only one that feels that way? It's tough. It's difficult. I'm telling you, man. I heard that. <laughs> but there are these three guys, as we often see in Scripture, there are three people here who are going through the same thing that you and I have probably have been through many times before. And theirs is on a grander scale than maybe we've ever been through. These three men who heard a no from God that I believe we can learn from today. It comes from Daniel chapter 3. Uh, our scripture will be on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible on your phone, feel free. Daniel chapter 3. And I want to sort of tell you the first part of the story. And this is a story that many people are, are uh, very familiar with. An account of what really happened. These three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were three Jewish boys who were taken in exile. Like we talked about last week about Babylon and the exile when the Jews were, were taken away. These three guys were some of the best of the best. They were taken there. And King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he decides he's going to set up this, this huge statue that everybody needs to worship. Now, this thing was 90 feet tall. 90 feet tall. That is, I mean... It's, it's difficult for us to imagine and know exactly what 90 feet is, but I always use it this way because I'm a basketball guy. I think about it in terms of a basketball goal. A, a rim on a basketball goal is 10 feet. So if you stack nine of those on top of each other, that's what we're thinking about here. And I don't know if that helps you envision it, but this is a big statue that he said when the music plays, everybody, wherever you are, he sent out the word as far as he could. When you hear this music playing, bow down and worship this statue, this image. And that's what I want you to do. Well, these three Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were not willing to do that because they knew they only worshiped the one true God. And so when the music played, they would not bow down. They would not bow down again. They only wanted to worship the one true God. And so these troublemakers come in. These, they call them Chaldeans in some uh, versions that you look at. Some might say astrologers. That's basically what they were. These guys that were trying to be... Um, Basically, suck-ups to King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, well, we want to make ourselves look better because we want the king to know that we're looking out for his best interests. And so they go to the king and they say, look, there's three guys that will not bow down and worship the way that you told them to. And they, they, they prod his ego and they say, look, you got you to gotta do something here because they're just usurping your authority. They're taking away your authority. And so he goes and he tells them, and the king is infuriated because he does not like anybody to not listen to what he says. I'm saying he must not have been a parent because if he was, he'd be very much used to it because people don't listen to you very well sometimes. So, you know, maybe this was before he had children. And so he was really upset. So he calls these guys to come into his presence. He, they send for him. They come here in Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready when excuse me, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. He said, I want, I'm going to give you a second chance. Here you go. Get ready. When you hear this music, you got to bow down. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a fiery, burning furnace. 
And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He's saying, I'm giving you a chance, but you better know that the consequences are deadly. There's no way that anybody, no God, can save you. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But I love this. But God. Verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Look at verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And when these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace... Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flames of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. This thing was so hot that the soldiers were willing, uh, the soldiers that they tied them up and threw them in, when they got close enough to throw them in, they died from the heat. Now that just tells you a little bit. This is a little side thing. I'm not going to charge you for this, okay? When your anger gets the best of you, you will do things and you will sacrifice things you never intended to sacrifice. Can you relate? Nebuchadnezzar was so angry. He was so angry that he was, he didn't know he was going to do it, but he was so angry. He got that thing heated up and he lost some of his best soldiers just because of his anger. And, and that's a lesson you and I can learn. But let's pick back up. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men bound, unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning, fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come out from there and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. Now, I have to stop there because I have to point out things like this. Is that the type of person I am, I'm probably not as good a person as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When he would come and say, come out, remember how hot it was, the soldiers died? I would have been tempted to say, what, king? We can't hear you. Come closer. <laughs> but they're better men than I was. So they came on out. Here's what happened. Then Nebuchadnezzar, oh, wait, I already did that. Uh, verse 27. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. No smell of fire came upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered him and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's commands and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree any people, nation or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. That's a powerful account. And, and there's so much there. And, and I appreciate you bearing with me and listening to that, but I felt like we had to read that part because it's so amazing to see what God will do in just the right time. But I asked this question of you again, the one I asked at the very beginning. What if the answer is no? What if when you're praying to God, when you're in a situation where you don't know what's going to happen, you're terrified, you, you want a job maybe, or you want somebody to be healed, or you want somebody to be healthy, or you want all this unrest and all this horrible stuff that's happening in our nation to stop. What if the answer is no? Well, the first thing you have to do is this. I believe what we see in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The first thing they do is this. Keep a kingdom perspective. Keep a kingdom perspective. If you look back at verse 18, this is where we understand this point. Their answer to him, they said, we believe God will save us and he can save us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They said, God may not deliver us in the way that we want, but know this, even if he doesn't, he's still good. Even if he doesn't answer in the way that I want, in the time that I want, he is still God and he is still good. And church, we've got to wrap our brains around that more than ever in a time like this. Because this world seems to be crumbling and falling apart and I doubt that it's going to get a whole lot better. But now is the time for the church to stand up and let our light shine and be recognized that God is in us and with us. Because the darker it gets, the brighter the light shines. And people need to see the church be the bright light that we're called to be. Not to blend in, not to hide in the shadows and look like everybody else. And if God doesn't answer our prayer at this moment right the way that we want, in the time that we want, know this. He is still good. And he is still God. Amen. And his answer, as we talked about a few weeks ago is better than even our questions. We often don't know the right questions to ask. We don't know the right prayers to pray. And his answers are better than anything we have to offer. So keep a kingdom perspective. God is able to answer in the way that you want. It's possible. He is an almighty, all-powerful God, can do whatever he desires to do. But what we have to understand is that most of our anger with God, and we get angry with God, most of our anger with God comes from a selfish or a worldly heart. That may be hard to hear, but most of the time in my life, when I look back, when I've been angry with God, it's been from a place of selfishness or just worldliness. And I wasn't willing to look at things the way that God would have me to look at them. I wasn't looking at things through a kingdom mindset or kingdom eyesight, a kingdom perspective. We're looking sometimes at one small aspect of the problem and we don't see the bigger picture. You know, um, I love watching my, my boys play sports 
And when you're watching a sport, especially like uh, basketball or watching or football, when there's just lots of people, lots of bodies all close together on the field, you know, if, if you're out there, and even if it's just your favorite team and you're watching, you're watching the guy running with the ball. And all of a sudden he breaks off and he's, you know, he scores a touchdown and you're so excited and you're so happy. But then you say, oh, there's a flag on the field. And you're like, what? There's nothing wrong. What? what? You know, what's going on here? But you weren't watching the other part of the equation, were you? You don't know that somebody was holding back there. You don't know in basketball, you know, you, your, your favorite player, the whistle's blowing and there's a foul call. And you're like, I watched him. He didn't foul anybody. But you don't realize there was a foul away from the ball. You know, we get mad at God sometimes because we don't look at the whole picture. We might miss something and we get so angry, but we need to be able to try to look back and look at things from God's perspective as much as we can. We are small and we are finite and we are, are not God, but we need to understand his perspective is perfect. And we can get angry because we have an incomplete perspective, but we have to remember that phrase. But if not. God, I want you to answer this way. I hope and pray this is the right way. This is what I want. This is what I need. This is what I want to stop. This is what I want to be healed. This is what I want to happen. But if not, I'm going to continue to serve you. So if we study the word of God and we look at the way that God has dealt with people for thousands of years, Hopefully that will give us a perspective, an understanding of his perspective. We can learn God's plan and we can learn God's purpose and it'll help us to trust in his steps and understand that it may not happen in the way and the time that we want, but he is good and he is God. Well, the next thing we can learn, I believe, from these three young men is the presence of Jesus is more evident in trials. The presence of Jesus is more evident in trials. If you look there at verse 25, it says, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. A lot of scholars, many scholars believe that this fourth person that looked like a son of the gods may have very well been a pre-incarnate or a pre-born Christ. Jesus come down possibly in the flesh. At the very least, even if it's just an angel, it's okay. God put him there to be with these guys and protect them and help them to feel the presence of God in a real and a palpable way. And one of the things I hate, I hate, I hate, <laughs> I hate it, but I've learned to feel the presence of God more in my struggles than I have in my successes. I say I hate it because I don't like pain and discomfort. I don't know about y'all. And there's been times that I'm like, I just wish this would be easy and I wish it would be solved like that. But I tell you what, I learn more about God's presence and I feel God's presence more when I'm going through the fiery furnaces, when I'm going through the valleys, when I'm going through the struggles. And God knows that. And so sometimes as much as it hurts, as much as it hurts for us to go through our struggle, to go through our trial, to go through the nose, to go through the wait longers, as much as it hurts, God is getting us to a point that he needs us to be at. And if it scares you, if it hurts you, I want you to know this. It hurts God more to see you in pain than it does you. But he, in his great love and in his great mercy, chose to let his son hang on the cross for the greatest good. 
And he might let you suffer for a while to build you up to what he needs you to be, to rescue you at just the right time. But he will be there with you in the fire. He will be with you in the place of trial and struggle. You guys can testify and I can testify that we felt oftentimes the presence of God more in trials in our lives. And let's be really honest. When we're rescued early from things, it's easy to be ungrateful, isn't it? Think about the hypothetical situation, and unfortunately, I know it's all too real, but uh, a child or a teenager that's continually rescued from their struggles and their mistakes, they usually turn into an even bigger spoiled brat, right? You know? And when we don't go through a little bit of discomfort, we don't learn as much. And so sometimes we need to learn through a situation, but know that God is with us. And then you also have to remind yourself of this. We don't realize how much God spares us from. How much, how many bad things has God spared us from that we never knew existed? We didn't know there was a problem on the horizon, but God has spared us. But there's another thing that we learn here, a third thing. That we can learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's this. The power of God is felt more in hardship. The power of God is felt more in hardship. We know that the presence of Jesus is more evident in trials. But the power of God is felt more in hardship. Look at verse 27. It says, And the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hairs of their head were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. When they were thrown into that fire, it was so hot. What happened? The men throwing them in died. This was a powerfully hot fire. And when they were thrown in the fire and they weren't harmed, it spoke louder and showed more of the power of God than if he had swooped in and, and rescued them before it ever happened. It said they didn't even smell like fire, y'all. I've got a neighbor that lives across the street. He's not actually. Ooh, man, they got loud. Sorry about that. Woke you up. We got a neighbor who lives across the street, and he uh, isn't in our neighborhood, so I guess he's maybe I don't know. I don't know. But that guy loves to burn stuff. <laughs> he loves to burn leaves and all that kind of stuff. And we've got our, our yard, we've got a set of a thin set of woods, and then you've got the road, and then you've got his property over there. And so when he's burning, we can smell it all in our yard. And just standing in our yard, when we go inside, you know what we can smell a lot of times in our clothes? Smoke. We are nowhere near the fire, but that smoke just permeates everything. And so for these guys to be thrown into the fire and not smell like smoke is a miracle. I'm serious. It is a miracle. It says they did not even smell like smoke, much less they were not burned. They were not injured. They were not singed. None of that. And it's a powerful reminder that God is able to deliver us even in the worst situations. He will carry us through it and we will be better off. We will be better off. The guards, you know, you can think about it this way. Would it have been a really cool thing if God had caused those guards that were getting ready to throw them in the fire just to sort of pass out and just drop down and they could just run off and escape? You know, isn't that maybe what you would have prayed for? 
Lord, give me some way that I can get away from these guards. You know, teach me, God, karate, even though it probably wasn't invented yet. You know, you know, and just beat these guys. You know, we prayed for something like that. We think along those terms. We never would say, Lord, throw me in the fire. <laughs> we, we wouldn't do that. That's just beyond our realm of, of thinking. And so but God did that because it showed his power in a more real way. Yes, he could have powerfully given some way for these guys to escape from these guards and never get thrown in the fire. But God was willing to show his power in a mighty way that stunned these so-called leaders of the Babylonians. These wise and learned men, they could not believe what they were seeing, the way God handled it. And when we get in difficult situations and God carries us through, it shows his great power that much more. We look at this next idea that we learn. The purpose of God is magnified in obedience. So we've got the presence of Jesus is more evident in trials. The power of God is felt more in hardship. And the purpose of God is magnified in obedience. Look at verses 28 and 29. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. If that isn't a big God moment, I don't know what is. He took this blasphemous man, Nebuchadnezzar, that started and built this this uh, statue for people to worship, this 90-foot-tall statue, and said, so when you hear this bow down and worship this image of stone, this image that's made by hands of men, worship this, it took him from there to see what God did, and he said, there is no God like the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's no God that can save the way they do. And so maybe you've got to go through your trial. Maybe you've got to go through your struggle. But God's purpose will be shining bright through it. It will be magnified when we faithfully wait and obey and trust God's deliverance. His glory shines brighter. And whether we like to admit it or not, that's God's purpose is that people would see his glory. And be drawn to him. As much as I hate to say it. God's purpose is not for me to have perfect help on this earth. God's purpose for you is not for you to have all the money in the world on this earth. God's purpose for us is not to have this world be perfect. But it's to get us ready for the perfect world we're going to live in for all eternity. And to have as many people as possible go to give him glory so they'll see him and turn to him. And so when we cling to Jesus and allow him to use us, even when it doesn't happen the way we want, people are drawn to Jesus. So right now in this difficult time when our world is in chaos, more people can see Jesus through us going through struggles and trials. So the question that we ask to better understand all this and sort of tie it together is this. How do we have this kingdom perspective that we talked about at the very beginning? How do we have this kingdom perspective? Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, I believe it gives us a good answer. 
It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. By the testing, you may discern what the will of God is, that what is good and acceptable and perfect. You see, if we want to understand the will of God and have this kingdom perspective and be able to understand the way that God answers our prayers and the timing that God answers our prayers, we've got to do that. The, th the things that it says, the four things that it says are this. Be a living sacrifice. Be a living sacrifice. That is not easy, nor is it fun sometimes. But if we want to, for God to show his glory through us and in us, then we have to be a living sacrifice, a sacrifice that continually offers ourselves over and over and over again. And the way to be a sacrifice is first is this. Die to yourself. Die to yourself. Paul also, as he wrote earlier in this book of Romans, this is chapter 12, back in chapter 6, he talks about how we die to ourselves. He says that if you're buried with Christ at baptism, you died with him, you joined in his death, and you were raised up with him to walk in a new life. And so you have to first die to yourself. You die spiritually at baptism. He raises you up to walk in a new life, but then he calls you every single day to die to yourself over and over and over again and be a living sacrifice for people to see Jesus through you. We also says be different from this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. And I, I'm going to tell you this. This is a little bit easy. I'm going to give you some good news here. It's not real hard to be different from the world anymore. You just got to be halfway decent. <laughs> because our world is just going and spinning into chaos. And a little bit of kindness and a little bit of love stands out in a big way. But I'm saying that a little bit, you know, tongue in cheek because we're called to, to be more and more like Jesus every single day, but be different from this world. And it says be transformed by the word of God to be transformed, to be changed. And that's how you continue to be different from this world. And the only way you can do that is by getting into the word of God to have your mind be transformed, to think a new way so that you'll act and do and be a new way. You cannot be a thriving, growing Christian apart from the word of God. You cannot. You cannot because your mind will not be transformed and you will continue to do the same old things over and over and over again. And even as you read the word of God, you're still going to struggle. You're still going to fall. You're still going to stumble. But time over time, God will continue to shape you and form you and mold you through the power of the Holy Spirit working through his word and transform you. But he ties it all up in this little section. He says, then you'll know God's will, his pleasing, good and perfect will. As your mind is transformed, as you become different from the world and you live as a living sacrifice. So when you do these things, you'll really start to have the proper perspective to see that all that God has in store for you. But it all starts with death and a new life. Unfortunately, a lot of times we think, I want just enough Jesus to get me into heaven. But I don't want enough to change my life and my actions and my attitudes. I ain't really trying to love my neighbor too much because have you seen my neighbor? <laughs> But the truth of the gospel is, is that if we want to live forever, then we got to die right now. 
We gotta die to self if we wanna live and have our, our lives covered in the grace of Jesus. And so if we church would surrender ourselves and die to ourselves and be raised up to walk in a new life and then every day seek to be more like Jesus, this world will become a lighter place. And even if it, the world is a dark place, the light will shine brighter and shine in that darkness and more and more people will come to him. And when our prayers are answered, I believe they'll be answered more and more. Yes, yes, yes. Because we'll be thinking with a kingdom perspective and we won't be praying worldly prayers all the time. We'll be praying, God, help people come to you. Help my life be a testimony and a testament to your grace and your goodness and your mercy. I'm telling you, if you don't go through life, if you go through life any other way, you're going to be miserable. But if you decide, I want my life to count for eternity and helping people see Jesus in me and through me and spending eternity with Jesus, then you'll be one of the happiest people to ever walk the face of this earth. But it takes dying first. So you can truly live. If you've got something on your heart today, I pray that you talk with us, that you wouldn't leave here, and you wouldn't just go through the same old motions you've always gone through, but that you spend some time and you talk. You talk to God and you talk to us, and we'll help you do what you need to do. If you need to give your life to Jesus, we'd love to help you do that. If you need to surrender to him, or if you need to come back to him, we'd love to help talk you and walk you through that through God's word. But it has to start with you dying to self. Maybe today is your day to die be raised up to a new life. To be buried with Christ in baptism. Be raised up to a new life. Start shining the light that God's called us to. Maybe for us church, maybe we've already done that. And maybe we need to make sure that light is shining. Because this dark world needs it. Let's pray. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, you are good. We don't deserve your grace and your mercy. But you give it freely. So, Father, I pray that we would die to self and live with you forever. But we know, God, that our eternal life starts right here, right now. We pray, Father, that we would be surrendered to you and that we'd have a kingdom perspective so that people would be drawn to you. And so, Jesus, I pray. Amen.